Good to see you all. Today's sermon will be found in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. As you go there, let me just quickly uh, give a background behind this passage, why we're studying this passage, as well as next few weeks, we're going to be studying some passages that are perhaps a little random at first, but the reason is this. At Vision Night on Friday, uh, we presented the vision of CLC. So if you go to the next slide, um, after the passages, uh, there are three pillars of our church, the three goals that uh, define our church so that we want to strive strive towards uh, these goals. And, And those are Uh, Vertical community, meaning that uh, we first and foremost strive for a vibrant relationship with God uh, through word and prayer. Uh, For example, community, which means that as we have that relationship with God vertically, uh, God's word changes us to be selfless community towards one another. And then third, a missional community. We go beyond our walls and boundaries to be a blessing to the nations. And Next three weeks, including this week, uh, we're going to be expounding on these three things so you know exactly what these things are. And to me, two main goals. One is that for current members of our church, you know exactly you know, what we are about as a church. So I want you to have confidence and direction about who we are. And if you're new to our church, I want you to get to know our church this way. So I hope that God will use it to... Again, bring us together as a church. So with that, let me read for us 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. Here's the word of God. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on that holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together before we go any further. Heavenly Father, uh, we know that you are here in this very place and you promise that uh, you will be with us and you will speak to us through times like this, through your word, as we gather around your word and try to learn, try to humbly uh, receive your word so that we can grow, not just individually, but uh, as a church. So please 
Uh, gather our hearts, God, under your word. Um, open up our hearts through your spirit so we can understand and receive and accept your word. And be with me, God. Uh, I'm just a jar of clay, just wanting to be delivering your word. It's not about the preacher. It's about, the, your, it's about your word, God. So uh, keep me humble and help me to be uh, a good messenger that faithfully uh, deliver your message. Thank you, Lord. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so today, we're going to be expounding upon what it means to be a vertical church, what it means to be having the word and prayer as our uh, backbone and engine uh, for our church. So there are three points in this message for you to follow along. First, the true word of God. Second, the living word of God. And third, heed the word of God. First, the true word of God. So here, Apostle Peter, that's why the, the name of the book is Peter. He's the author and Apostle Peter is writing this letter to churches in the Roman Empire at that time. And here's what he says to start off in this passage. Verse 16, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when, he, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So Peter and his fellow apostles, we, uh, previously told you, the churches, uh, about this power and coming, uh, or better, powerful coming of Jesus Christ. The phrase there, the coming of Jesus Christ, uh, typically refers to the second coming of Jesus, when he will come and uh, judge sinners and save uh, those who have faith in him. And right away, uh, the, the word judgment can irk some of us um, because the topic of judgment and hell sound offensive and even outdated in our culture. So please bear with me. You know, why are we talking about this in this you know, progressive city and campus that we're in? Um, if you grew up in a perhaps suburban area like I did, um, maybe people that you encounter were mostly good so that the concept of hell and concept of judgment sound foreign to you because everyone, your friends, seem good no matter uh, what kind of religious background they're from. But imagine what if you grew up in an inner city where there's injustice daily and people are racially, economically discriminated and they're even killed unjustly. Or what if you grew up in you know, Afghanistan, or Eastern Europe, or Africa, North Korea, you know, where you face atrocity daily, where horrible things are done to you know, women and children, and genocide, the various forms of war crimes, and they take your loved ones away in the most inhumane way. And in that kind of setting, if we say to the people who are suffering, that there's no judgment in the end, that feels hopeless. Meaning, they will say, I mean, God would let the monsters just get away with this? There's no accountability in the end? 
without the cosmic judgment in the end, you know, if we say everyone's good, after all, we would be insulting the pain and anguish of the victims. And that's why the judgment matters. And what's interesting and even mind-boggling is that the Bible says everyone is a sinner deserving this eternal punishment from God. Everyone, me included, all of us. But the gospel says in love, Jesus came and died so that if we put our faith in him, we will be saved from this judgment, even though we are sinners, because, not because of our own merit, but because the perfect son of God died on, on our behalf and we gained his perfect righteousness. That is the good news of Christianity. And that is essentially what Peter is communicating to the churches uh, during this time. And with that said, apparently there were people in the churches who were dismissing this gospel uh, as a cleverly devised myth, like a fable, like a Greek mythology, basically, that are basically made of stories, made of fantasies, and have no factual value. And to that, Peter is saying, no, our message is not uh, a fiction. It is based on eyewitness account. It's real. So Peter goes on, verse 17 and 18, to prove that this is a real thing, not a fable. Verse 17 and 18, he says, For when, he, when, he, when Jesus received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. For we were with him on that holy mountain. Uh, Peter here is recalling the famous event of transfiguration. It's an event where Jesus went up on this mountain with Peter, James, and John. And in front of them, his figure changed. He became extremely bright. And then from the cloud, God the Father spoke. Again, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased, like Peter quoted there. And this event is validating Jesus as the Son of God and the Messiah, and also looking forward to the glory that Jesus will receive when he comes back. So it's, it's pointing to the second coming of Jesus. And Peter is here saying, I was there. I saw it with my eyes. I heard it with my ears. And I felt it with my skin. It's an eyewitness true account. It's based on history. And what's interesting going from there is that the whole Bible, throughout the Bible, we see this type of appeal to historicity. Let's go to 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Verse 1 and 2, it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it, proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Same concept. We were there. It's not a fable. So the Bible 
is again not a collection of fantasies but true story and it's not a Harry Potter book but it's more so a notification on your phone alarming you of coming flood or tornado so we pay attention we take seriously and let me just give you one quick example of this historicity of the Bible um, if you go to the next slide I don't know if you can see the whole chart here but this chart shows all the renowned ancient books and documents that you might have seen you know in your history classes like Iliad and you know all these things um, and right away you'll see that a lot of these documents have a long time in them between when it was first written uh, and when the first copy was produced to you know, transmit and publish uh, these works. Thousand years, or about thousand years for all these works, for each work rather. And what this means is that there could have been a good chance for uh, these people who copied these, these works to uh, fabricate and to exaggerate uh, to fit their agenda. Because thousand years have passed, right? But we still put this document on our history books. I think some of us read these as history. Now compare that to the New Testament, all the way down. The, word, the, the, the number there is 40 years compared to 1,000 years from the time that it was first written to the time when it was first copied. The 40 years is so short that if anybody saw any errors, in them, because it was public letter, right? They could have, you know, repudiated. They could have called them out. But they didn't do that because it was true. And furthermore, there are extent more than 5,000 copies, meaning they could compare each copies to verify whether these are true or not. Uh, not to bore you with all these lessons here, history lessons here, but just to show you that Christians take history very seriously. Because it's not about just the, you know, hocus pocus. But it's a true story that we take seriously. And that's what Peter is appealing to. So it's the true word of God. So we listen. Second, the living word of God. Verse 20 and 21, it says this. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Just very simple here, that Peter is saying that the, the words that you find, specifically in the Old Testament prophets, are not human interpretation or just words recorded, but these are from God. It's from the Holy Spirit. These authors were moved along by the Holy Spirit. And to clarify, that does not mean these authors were possessed by the Holy Spirit. They were like writing, dictating what God, God is saying. No. If you just see, read through the Bible, you see different styles based on the authors. What that means is God preserved, God used these different personalities, education and family backgrounds, and their circumstances, everything in their life, their humanness, so that he can you know, communicate his message in different ways. For example, you know, David, 
I think he's a, he was a dealer, I think, because he's very emotional in the book of Psalms. And he's very raw. And yeah, he's a man of war. So he uses a lot of illustrations uh, like, you know, swords and bow and spears. Uh, on the other hand, Ezekiel, prophet Ezekiel was a priest. So he uses a lot of illustration about a temple. And also he was an exile in Babylon. So he, you hear about his you know, exile lives in his books. All this to say, that's how these people wrote these books, but they still knew that this was the word of God. They're communicating the word of God through their humanness. That's how God chose to reveal himself. And this principle extends to New Testament too. Uh, like we saw, you know, Peter, the apostles, they're eyewitnesses, and they wrote down what they saw about Jesus, who they believed to be God in flesh. And when they wrote about all these teachings of Jesus, that was the word of God. And that's how we that's why we take that seriously and put it into a book, along with the books written by apostles' friends and associates like Mark and Luke and later Paul. Um, and, and we compile them into a book called New Testament. So Old Testament and New Testament combined, this is the very word of God spoken to us. That's why 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Meaning when you read the Bible, when you sit in front of the Bible and read those words, God, the cosmic God, God of the universe, is speaking to you. That is the reality. For the next slide, I'm not sure if you know this guy named David Crowder. Just a quick survey here. How many of you know David Crowder? Okay, half of us. Okay. Well, uh, he, I think he still is a popular Christian artist, singer, song writer. And I don't think I was ever a fan, per se, but you know, I was interested in his songs in my high school days when I was beginning to um, you know, be exposed to true Christianity. And later on, I became a Christian in my uh, senior year in high school. Um, so I love his songs. And again, I think my wife is more of a fan, but I'm just more of a follower, perhaps, of his songs. Um, but yeah, his songs were familiar songs to me at the time. And I got a chance to go to this Christian rock concert. Uh, if you go to the next slide. Uh, and he was there. And that's uh, my picture that I took. You, can, you cannot see there, but I took it with my uh, actual camera before the cell phone stage. So there was like, you know, the, the date. Like, if you don't know what that is, just forget about it. But that's, that's the real proof right there. I was there. And, uh, and somehow, uh, I think it's kind of, there, there was no assigned seating there. So I was able to kind of move around. But when he came on stage, I got to go to the like, very front, and you can't really see, but yeah, another picture. I was very close, like very up close. I was like one of the front rows, and I was like, this is a celebrity. I'm like 
six feet away from this celebrity. So I got so excited. I was like, man. So during his songs, I was literally screaming on top of my lung, and I was jumping up and down. Just imagine six foot four guy jumping, jumping up and down, and I, I looked around and saw that people were not happy because I was blocking their views. But I was doing it because I was so excited. David Christ is a celebrity. Oh my gosh. And, uh, and at some point, you know, he kind of stopped and he was kind of trying to do a monologue, right? Just while he's like leading worship. And I was still screaming. And he looked at me. We locked eyes. He gave me a very real look. Kind of like went like this. But I didn't care. I just kept screaming. And, uh, and he just started like talking. But he was looking directly at me. I think he was just worried I was going to do something crazy. So he was talking for like a few minutes. Um, and then, you know, like that thing, the whole thing ended and, you know, I almost touched him, but um, didn't get to. So anyways, anyways, uh, maybe you're not this crazy. Maybe I'm just giving you a very bad first image to those of you who are new to our church. But anyways, I think to some degrees, like, if you meet a celebrity, I think you have that kind of reaction, right? Like, especially if, if that person is talking to you. There is that just fanboy girl, you know, coming out of you when that happens. But get this. When you read the Bible, you are face to face with the God of the universe. And he is talking directly at you. You are so up close to him that the Bible says you can even feel his breath, the Holy Spirit. That is the living word of God. That is the promise that God has for us. He is still speaking through his word. The living word of God. Lastly, heed the word of God. And now Peter draws up a very logical conclusion here. So verse 19, he says, And we have the prophetic word uh, more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Meaning, because the scripture is based on the eyewitness accounts, it's true word of God, and it is a very living word of God. Therefore, we must pay attention to this word of God. And then Peter compares the word to a lamp shining in a dark place. Uh, what that means is that, you know, in this life, because of sin and brokenness in this world, there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of darkness in that. There's a lot of challenges and a lot of difficult things in life. And moreover, these days, you know, the, the absolute truth, the concept of absolute truth is dismissed. It's all about individual truth that you make up, whatever works for you. And because of that, there's no guidance and standard anymore. In this darkness, the word of God is like a lamp that shows us what is right. If we're humble enough, we are to follow and find the truly fulfilling life. And then Peter says, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. What that means is that 
a day is coming again when Jesus comes back and he will save his people. And at that point, you won't need scripture anymore. Why? And he's making it more dramatic here. Morning star rises in your heart, meaning your light will be full. You won't need the Bible anymore because the very person who speaks to you will be in you completely, away from sin. You can just stand there. You can understand everything he's saying because you are in his presence completely. What a beautiful day that would be. I long for that so much when I don't have to struggle through reading and try to understand. Even preparing for, for this, this message, I was like trying so hard to read and understand through commentaries. But man, that day, I'll just know. I'll just know. But Peter is saying, until that glorious day, you need the Bible. That's how God speaks to you. That's the way you can live a fulfilling life. I found this very curious creature named cockeyed squid. It's not hard to see there. It's unfortunate. Um, but it's, uh, it's called cockeyed squid because um, the, the eyes, left and right eyes, they differ in size and shape and color. Uh, one of the eyes is normal, just, you know, normal size. But the other eye is um, like twice as big. And uh, uh, it's a neon color. And it looks just very different than the other one. And the reason for this difference is this. Uh, these squids live in the twilight zone of the ocean about 600 to 3,000 feet deep where there's hardly any light. And in order to survive for uh, these squids from the predators, uh, these squids have to develop over time uh, the larger eye in order to get uh, more sunlight. So that's why one of the eyes uh, is always tilted upwards and develop this like new lens to absorb more light. And it can de detect more light and it glows and it can spot any lurking dangers. On the other hand, the other eye is just, you know, normal and it's downward and it, it's, it hardly sees anything uh, because it's, you know, towards the darkness. And I share this because perhaps often we are like that smaller eye. You know, we try so hard, try like, oh, you know, open our eyes so hard, so to speak, to discern and make decisions and try to get through our lives in this darkness. But all we get is we're still very vulnerable to any attacks from, you know, the world and, you know, from our own selves too in many ways. But when we turn upwards, when we turn to the light, so to speak, the, the light, light of the scripture, we can see things more clearly and there will be more discernment. And more importantly, just like the, the eye glows neon color, when our eyes, when our hearts are fixed on the word of God, we will glow too. Meaning that the word will change us from the inside out so that we become different people. Especially as we pray through um, as we, you know, read and pray uh, the word of God. And it'll make us become more like Christ, meaning that we'll become more secure 
when we can be insecure and try to cover ourselves up with a career, grades, and relationships, but we'll be secure of Christ. And we'll forgive others when you know, it, it feels more natural to stay bitter and you know, easy that way, but we'll be more forgiving people. And lastly, through the word, we'll become more selfless in reaching out to others in need, in love. Word of God is the key in our individual lives, but especially as a church. Without the word of God, without the true and living word of God, there is no hope for our church. And that's why we take the Sunday preaching seriously. That's, that's why we do this. And that's why in life groups, we study the word every week. And we want to grow as a community uh, to look to scripture for every decision that we make. Because the word of God is the guidance and the key and the standard for our community. And that's what it means to be a vertical community. And may we grow more and more as that type of church and community. Let's pray together. Our natural state, and I'm saying this about myself first and foremost. I'm not trying to say this to describe others, but it's me that my natural state about the Word of God is that of resistance. Uh, I want to just spend more time uh, you know, lying down. I just want to spend more time watching more videos. Uh, I want to spend more time doing X, Y, and Z, but the Word of God. It's a hard thing. But what if it is true that this scripture is true in that the authors of this Bible keep saying, hey, this is not made up. We saw it. We touched it. And we're telling you this because we want you to know this is a real deal. The most nonfiction book you'll ever find. And it is living. If God is real, if God is really there, and He speaks through the Word of God, we do encounter Him through the Word of God. And some of us know when that happens, there is tremendous power against all the obstacles in our way, in our lives. Even when we're, our hearts are aching, the Word of God keeps us going. And that's what we are called to cling on to as a church. As those who are seeking and willing to follow Christ. And some of us who are maybe new to this, um, you know, visiting or uh, you're still seeking about the, the Christian faith, we welcome you here and we hope that as you search out, the, the, the promise in the book of Jeremiah is that if you seek me, God, if you seek me with all your heart, I'll be found by you. What a promise. So let us look to the word of God together and pray and submit ourselves to him. Let's pray.
Let's pray together. I just want to ask a quick question. Uh, continuing with uh, the image that we perhaps see in this song that we just saw, sang, uh, in the storm and all these things, uh, the question is, what is your anchor? What is my anchor? What is your anchor? When uh, turbulence happens in your life, when heartaches come, when unexpected things come out of nowhere, when all these, all these things happen, what is your anchor? Uh, and may we find that anchor in the Word of God together. It's a work in progress. For me, I know. Uh, it's never complete. Uh, but when we do so, we encourage each other to put our hope and anchor uh, in the Word of God. Uh, we will, uh, God will pay off. God will give us assurance when there should be no assurance. And that is our hope together. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, um, thank you for your heart for us. Like Billy Graham said, the whole Bible is your love letter towards us. Um, and, and may we believe that and uh, rest in your word together. In this time of uncertainty and culture of um, you know, many um, difficult things like pandemic and uh, we're living through the time in our nation and in the world where uh, there's a lot of doubts and uncertainties for all, about a lot of things, God. We need your anchor of your word. Ground us, God, in that so we know where we stand, so we know uh, where we go. So help us, God. But thank you that you love us so much that you chose to reveal yourself to us through your word so we can know you and find ourselves in you. Help us, God. We need you.